Hi, everyone, and welcome to the News Agent podcast. I'm Susie Lysett, Senior Content Executive at Goodlord, and this episode is a recording of the third in our Renters' Reform Bill webinar series, with this particular session on the topic of how the new proposals will be enforced. Paul Champlina, Chief Commercial Officer at Hamilton Fraser, joined Goodlord's Ollie Sherlock to cover everything from the housing court reforms to the new property portal. The free webinar is available on demand and is CPD accredited. I'll include the link in the show notes. Uh, but for those that prefer to get your lettings updates on the go, let's crack on with the podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this instalment of the Renters Reform Bill series here at Goodlord. Um, it's a pleasure to host you all. Um, I'm Ollie Sherlock, Director of Insurance at Goodlord, and this is the third in our series, um, talking and discussing um, uh, different elements of the Renters Reform Bill. Um, it's a pleasure to be joined today by Paul Champina. He's going to be introducing himself shortly. Um, before we get into the uh, the real detail of what we're here to discuss, uh, for those of you um, who are joining who don't know who Goodlord are, uh, we're a pre-tenancy platform business. We help you become more efficient through the entire pretensity process, ensuring compliance virtues are met, expediting the process and allowing you to focus on business generation, exceptional customer service and driving more revenue streams through different products like rent protection, utilities um, and other um, tenant services. If you want to understand more about how Goodlord can help you, then please do reach out to our website at goodlord.co. You can book a demo. Um, there's a new addition to this list, I should add as well, in landlord terms of business. Uh, we now manage that as part of our um, standard flow um, to ensure that your landlord terms of business can get sent out, expedited through the pretensity process and kick that process off. Um, and that's alongside rent collection and indeed letting accounts. So there's been a few additions in recent months that you may not be aware of. By all means, please do reach out um, if you'd like to understand how we can do those things and support your business uh, moving forwards. Today, though, as all of these webinars are indeed not about, is not about Good Lord, it's about the renter's reform. Um, and again, it's a pleasure to be joined by my fellow um, Spurs fan, uh, Mr. Paul Champlain. A good morning, Paul. Morning, Ollie. How are you? I'm not bad at all. Pleasure I'm not to bad be at all. Here. Yes, indeed. Thank you for joining us. Um, now, Paul, you're a well-known guy. Um, you, you may have even seen Paul on the TV, but for those who don't know who you are, um, just give us a quick intro to Paul Champlina. So, yeah, hi, everyone. I've, I've been helping landlords for 30 years. Uh, my background was legal, worked in a couple of law firms, was a bailiff and a private investigator and always dealt with evictions. I set Landlord Action up 22 years ago. Uh, landlord Action, which is part of the Hamilton Fraser Group, is one of the leading uh, landlord tenant solicitors helping landlords and letting agents with uh, possession cases and evictions. We're busier now than we ever have been. We're up to about, I think, 23 staff now really, really busy. Um, and then uh, Lanner Action became part of the Hamilton Fraser family in 2017. I sit on the board of Hamilton Fraser uh, as chief commercial officer overseeing sales. We own about 10 different brands. So our most well-known brand within the sector is My Deposits, the property redressing, client money protect, their free government back schemes we run schemes obviously which are mandatory schemes we also own total landlord insurance uh we also we also own uh own no deposit replacement alternative hf assisted letting agent advice land landlord action i also run uh another one of our companies called landlord zone which is one of the biggest breaking uh news uh, media sites and i do a lot of media uh, as you know i do the tv program on channel five nightmare tenants slum landlords and loads of letting aid trainings and anyway others st- and put boxing events on as you well know Ollie. <laughs> I, wear, I think we had a meeting with you earlier this week and, and you said that you, you, know, you wear a couple of hats and i suggested you, you wear more hats than boy george i don't think there's yeah that's uh, a good, that's a really a, good one 
yeah. <laughs> arguably a busy, busier man uh, in the industry, but yeah. but a very pertinent person to have on today because you are um, uh, somewhat front and centre of um, uh, enforcement uh, within the industry. Um, you're a vocal uh, member of the industry when it comes to um, change, and indeed you're working with many of the um, uh, important bodies that, that actually yeah. help inform and change legislation. So I'm really pleased to have you on today, Paul. Um, and for anybody that's joined series before, uh, you know that Paul has, has joined these a, a different um, a different um, elements, mostly around the enforcement. So this really hopefully sits very naturally uh, for your sort of skill set and where you spend most of your time, um, albeit the many hats that you wear. So yeah, I, I do quite a bit of work with the government, as you know, as well. So I work on... In- uh, Work, work. I did. I was very heavily involved with the deregulation act and helping drafting the Section Twenty One notice and bringing squatters law. So yeah, I work in quite a lot of working groups now. Obviously, the renters reform bill as well. So so feel free, those who are joining, to blame Paul for everything. If you no, don't blame, um, don't blame me. <laughs> um, let, let's get into the details. Let's, let's see what we're going to cover today. So we're, we're going to be focusing on enforcing the new proposals, which again is why Paul um, is is such a good guest for this. Um, we're going to talk about the court process reforms. Um, we're going to look at the ombudsman um, covering private landlords. There's going to be, or there's been suggested change there, uh, moving into one body. Um, and we're also going to touch on the new property portal. This was a, a brief line in the uh, in the white paper, but something that is, I think, and, and we think is going to gain more and more importance and actually holds, um, so holds a place within um, the process that I think could actually add some real benefits. Um, there's not many times that we've looked at the white paper, and so there's huge benefits here. Uh, this is one area that I think I think may. Uh, we're going to touch on governmental change as well um, as part of this this webinar too. Just given sort of how uh, how fluid that's been more recently, and the the effect of that on the lettings industry too. So let's get into the first slide um, around court process. We've got Sarah on the slides um, as usual. Good morning, Sarah. Um, if we do, I should add before we get into this, before, if we do have any technical issues, we only have one problem this this year so far, Touchwood, um, but we will try and rejoin as quickly as we possibly can. Um, so court process reform. Paul, talk us through what the white paper is suggesting, first of all, when it comes to the Section 8. So, yeah, I mean, well, talking about Section 8, you've got to backtrack a little bit about Section 21. I mean, obviously, we'd have talked about this. Section 21 is being abolished, we believe, within two to three years. If it's being abolished, you have to strengthen the grounds of Section 8. I'd say 65% of the work that we do at Landlord Action is Section 8, 35 Section 21. We do the best part of over 2,000 instructions a year for landlords and letting agents. What will happen now? At the moment, there's 17 grounds, Ollie, for Section 8, which at the moment there's only two mandatory grounds, Ground 1 and Ground Section uh, ground 8, which is a mandatory ground when there's two months rent arrears as of the day you serve notice, as of the day you go to court. And with a Section 8 case, you have to go plead the case and go to court and have a hearing date and have your five-minute hearing, go before the judge and grant the possession. Obviously, what happened with COVID, I know we're past COVID and we had webinars on COVID, there was review hearings, everything was slowed up. Uh, you know, we still have real challenges with the courts. I have someone that uh, part of their job spec is calling the courts on a daily basis, chasing up hearing dates. Uh, we, you know, we do the best part of 30 to 40 hearings a month. It's quite crazy, really. But what's going to happen is if you abolish Section 21, which you are, you have to strengthen the grounds of Section 8. Landlords and letting agents have to have faith that they can get their property back. Albeit, what we have seen, and we did a recent poll on landlord action, is that 26% of landlords that serve Section 21 notices within 
the last 12 months did so because they want to sell. And I'm, we won't touch on this later on, but landlords selling properties is a big, big threat for letting agents out there. But there's 17 grounds. We think there might be 22 grounds that are going to come in, Ollie, uh, with regard to the working groups and stuff. They're going to bring two, two other grounds in, which is if a landlord wants to move into the property for him or his immediate family, that should be a mandatory ground. If mm-hmm. obviously they want to sell the property, because at the moment landlords use Section 21 for rent arrears, antisocial behaviour, moving back in the property and selling. They're the foremost. Oh, and of course, tenants being told to stay put because they want to be rehoused by the council, which is an, mm-hmm. another massive problem. So the grounds need to be strengthened. There needs to be more mandatory grounds. They need to make sure that they have a ground that's strong enough so that landlords can gain possession of a property relating to anti-social behaviour. The beauty of Section 21 is you don't have to give any evidence relating to that. When you have to give evidence on anti-social behaviour, a lot of tenants and neighbours and other people on HMOs are quite fearful because of that individual causing possibly violence or mental health issues. Mm. And so let, let, let's touch on the, the mandatory grounds, especially around um, family, uh, family and friends uh, slash selling the property. Um, the biggest outcry from the removal of section or the abolishment of section 21 was the connotation i can't get my property back and indeed what the government's trying to do here is answer that question to say well no you can on the occasions that we think are, are you know deemed necessary to get your property back you can't just wake up in the morning and say i, I want it back for no absolute reason um which you know i i've said many times before i really struggle to see and with the data doesn't show that, that happens on a, on a, on a large I'm scale and great. we're being informed and making legislative change on the lowest common denominator in, in some respects here i think um but that aside um in theory that makes sense i'm selling my property i need my property back in practice how do you see this working because as we're seeing at the moment the sales cycle is um uh, ha- has its own challenges um it can you know take take months what happens in the in between time are we suggesting that you serve section first the tenant moves out and then the, then they go to sell the property what happens if the property doesn't sell what happens if the landlord changes their mind the day after and decides to take the property off the market has the government and the supporting bodies thought about this in practice as far as i'm concerned no not really the devil is in the detail that's why this can't be rushed through you know bearing in mind we're going to talk later on about politically there could be another general election in two years time but mm. by that time there's a lot there's a chance that a lot of this stuff still may not be through because it still needs legislation it's got to go from parliament the devil is in the detail and that's why you know we do a lot of work with the lettings industry council and you'll, you'll talk about the report later on which we we've, we've put together uh, on practicalities is look a landlord has to prove they're selling the property now there's going to be landlords out there that will abuse the process so they will say they're going to sell but then they decide they're not going to sell as to what provisions and clauses are going to be put in we have to wait and see so it may be that i have a property my te- don't forget there's 95 percent of tenants out there are, are absolutely fine ollie they're great they're yeah. okay and as an agent and as a landlord a great tenant you keep as long as possible staying in the property no void periods that's the name of the game but of course with tenants their challenges now is obviously increasing rents across the board, which is happening. So I think that there has to be provisions that have been put in place by maybe a certain amount of time periods, possibly. Um, proof that, you know, there's a letter from the agent, there's been a letter of instruction. Is it multi-sale? How's it long has it been in the market? But of course, you know, and we've seen about the stamp duty uh, concessions and all that, how quickly does it take 
How quickly does it take to sell a property? You know, with Section 21, it's two months. Then generally, it's about four months to get a court order under the accelerated procedure. Um, are there going to be tenants that are going to be staying in and waiting for there to be a court order? Is it going to be non-fault? There's going to be no rent arrears. You know, there's a whole load of different permutations. And again, like anything, and we, we've been long in the tooth, folly when it comes to a lot of legislation changes over the years, we have to wait. And it is the devil in the detail. Uh, people will think of angles, I'm sure. And we've got a few questions in from this. Um, Stephen, good morning, Stephen. Um, what happens if you generally want to sell the property, but then it doesn't sell due to lack of demand, et cetera? I think that that's kind of the point I'm making, Stephen. I'm not suggesting that landlords um, on the whole are going to go out their way to, to, to find um, find loopholes in it. I think there's a there's a general lack of detail in the suggestion in the white paper that allows us to take you know a meaningful understanding of of the proposed legislation and and with that in mind charlotte asks, uh, makes a good point paul um good morning charlotte charlotte at the moment you have to notify a tenant their property will be sold uh, and market it within four months then you don't have to serve a notice until you're happy the sale is going through would this not be the same mm. um I think it's fair to say that, that, that there probably will be a duplication of that process. And, mm. and in theory, that makes sense. But of course, in practice, what landlords will be doing is is ultimately potentially serving section ahead of that to ensure they've got the property back well ahead of there time. Will be, but but, but the, the problem that one has, and this would be the biggest problem, and I, your agents, and we've got hundreds of agents online now, is gaining access. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it's great serving a Section 8 notice and saying you want to sell, sell the property. But if your tenant's not going to let you in and makes it clear, I mean, that's why when I was working on the Fair, Pos- Fair Possession Grounds Coalition, it sounded like mafia, but it wasn't right. We were working on grounds. I said that access has to be a ground for a default and a breach of tenancy. It hasn't. At the moment, we've all, only had ground 12 and it's too generic. Mm. Access is a big issue. Not with just with regard to selling the property, but also with regard to inspections, gas safety, and all that type of stuff. So, I think that, and we, we did a recent survey on uh, for landlord action. Over fifteen hundred landlords entered the survey. Did it about two months ago, purely for this reason, like the section twenty one. And forty five percent of landlords out there have experienced problems gaining access. It's really, really yeah. high, and it's an issue. And I'm sure a lot of your agents will confirm that. We, we we see it through um through through, through our partnerships um and, and and services as well and I think having a um having a uh, a, a mansion ground in there that ultimately relates to a breach I think is it, you know it makes sense to ensure that you can then actually enact the thing we're trying to enact here otherwise you hit a brick wall um and you're creating barriers um let, let, let's i mean clearly that like you said the devil is in the detail and that's not even coming down to the family piece like a member of my family wants to move in <laughs> like are we talking your brother your sister your cousin your uncle your aunt you know how does it extend how do you prove well, it, 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 it i i believe it's immediate family again you know it's moving back in uh the problem a, a lot of these grounds coming in and the game has changed, right? You know, like I said, you know, I've been acting for landlords for 30 years. I've been a landlord for over 20 years myself. Is the government are saying, if you're a landlord now, even if you're using a letting agent, which landlords have to use letting agents more than ever to fully manage because it's mm. just a minefield out there, you have to look at this as a business. Even if you've got one or two properties, it's a business. And a lot of this stuff coming in is about longevity and about long-term, uh, obviously. But what will happen, and, and this is my prediction, and I don't think, think you have to be a rocket scientist, Ollie, when there is going to be an end date for Section 21, you will see a massive flurry of Section 21s being piled in, you know, 100%. And 
why so let me just challenge that why would we see a huge amount of section 21s fly in just I'll because tell you if, if, if sorry let me add a yeah. carrot if if the reform it, 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 there's been a call for evidence what they closed four weeks ago um, yeah. that you know i hope i hope everybody listening um uh, submitted to and i think you know from an industry perspective please watch out for those call for evidence it's, it's our opportunity as an industry to voice our opinion and give some really uh, meaningful feedback i mean the question whether they listen or not that's different but you know i think the first step is to, to try and work in partnership with the government to make changes but there's been a call for evidence the you would hope that that's taken into account the reform comes in and you would hope the detail is given the, the government should be looking, and, and they set out in their manifesto on this, to give accelerated powers to landlords where there's a breach and give fairness to both parties. If they deliver on that, why would we see a, a massive Section 21s flood the market the week before it's, it's closed off? I'll tell you why. Because, and don't forget, you know, we speak to landlords day in, day out, okay, at Landlord Action. We, we are the emergency plumbers for landlords. We're, we're the end at the end of the game where they want their property back for a million and one different reasons. Every landlord has a different story. Is landlords need faith in the court system. Yeah. Now, that supposedly there's been £300 million allocated to the court system from Dominic Raab when he was Justice Secretary. You know, I was on a working group in November 2019, prior to COVID, on housing courts. That's been kicked into the long grass. Mm. The... Landlords don't. Landlords had Section Twenty One as their backup, as their easy. There's always a fault. Generally, break down, move out, whatever they called it, non-fault, but it was always a fault, right? And it, there's always a, a reason, but it's easier. Landlords are fearful going to court and having a hearing date before a judge. Okay, then it's not just Section Twenty One going. You've got the EPC on the horizon. You've got obviously where we're at the moment. You've got interest rate rises. You've got the cost of living. Uh, the, the housing market is still really buoyant because of demand and, and lack of demand. And I think, obviously, you know, the, it, we speak to every agent that's on this on this uh, on this webinar. Their biggest issue is they need more property. They've got loads and loads of tenants. They're, they're, they, they've got a lack of property. They need more landlords. I mean, that's the, the, that, that's what they want. So I do see that landlords will panic, you know, from knowing landlords. Mm. Um, I think if you're a landlord and you're looking this long term, I think agents have to calm landlords down as well. Okay. They might just want to serve it. So it's there in the background because you've got a six month lifespan. Mm. Yeah. And I actually helped bring that law in when I was doing the deregulation uh, act and uh, giving evidence stuff. It's just there in the background. Yeah. And I think that mm. I, I just, I just, I just know it in my gut and had the experience. I just think that there will be a lot of section 21s that will be, so they will ramp up. Mm. And I'm sure. That I, 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 I don't disagree. I, I just, I just struggle with the logic as to, as to how that benefits the ship that is a landlord and tenant. And, well, it, and it arguably, may, mm, it may be, it may be something that tips the balance. Landlords think, shall I stick? Shall I twist? There's lots of landlords in that mode at the moment, but actually you have to remind landlords you're getting more rents than ever before. It's unprecedented. You know, it is actually being a landlord now is actually a really good business. If you can streamline it, you've got the right professionals, you can you're able you're able to have a scalable business and you know incorporate and all that type of stuff. It can work, you know. Uh, but most of them aren't in that position. They're the ones they're the landlords of one to three, so the eighty five percent of the market. 
And, and, and Clinton, um, good morning, Clinton, um, make point. None of this considers landlords letting their main residence short term for a set period while they work elsewhere, um, yeah. who should not be considered as running a business. These landlords still make up 30 percent of our landlords. And I think Clinton's talking about his, his own business, um, but 80 percent of our landlords letting houses rather than flats. Um, I, I think you're absolutely spot on, Clinton, there, because the legislation, especially moving to periodic, and keeping and retaining the, uh, the the notice periods, especially at the start of that tenancy, mean that 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 is a difficult practice to get right. And I think what you'll see, I would imagine, Paul, is those types of properties really going into Airbnb world rather than the PRS, because you know ultimately once tenants in there, that there's there's going to be a longer cycle and it is going to be more difficult, um, arguably, to to if the registration stays as the white paper suggests, to get the tenants out of the property without going through a a court process, right? Yeah, so, do, do do you think we'll see a rise then within you know the short term let space because of this the, of property that was in the PRS originally? I think I think I think you will see that. I mean, if you think about what happened uh, with Airbnb and obviously. The government now are really recognising Airbnb and holiday lets. I mean, I remember doing an interview in 2013 uh, with CNN, Richard Quest, saying Airbnb is going to absolutely explode. It came in 2011. Uh, obviously, we get lots of scenarios where there's tenants that are subletting with Airbnb, but generally a lot of landlords switch to, uh, yeah. to Airbnb. You know, London had the 90-day cycle. Then COVID happened, and then landlords panicked because they had empty properties because people couldn't use Airbnb. Then they came back into the long-term let. What will happen is, is that they will bring in a lot more taxation with regard to short-term lets. That's on the horizon. It's happened heavily in Scotland with regard to Edinburgh. They've got a massive problem with Airbnb in uh, in Edinburgh and about the amount of PRS that has been taken away. So, uh, But I think that that will, that, that will definitely come into play. Okay. Um, I've got two more questions. I'm going to part those. That's Karen and Kamala. Um, we will come back to those shortly um, because we talk about the courts process. We talk about then this becoming a more rigid uh, process that would sit in front of the courts. Uh, and you've touched on the um, the idea that there's been, you know, some limited uh, investment. Um, you know, we know this space collectively well, Paul. We both operate in this space. Um, I do from a protection perspective. And yeah. You know, we, we take millions and millions of pounds worth of rent across the UK. The reality of the situation is, you know, we can look at COVID and say, well, that that really hampered the process. It created, you know, a backlog, the court backlog before COVID. Um, the pressure this is going to put on the courts because we're going to see more traffic through. And we're going to now, you know, bear in mind, we're going to start to see if this comes in this way. Mm. All of the Section 21s that were used in arrears cases. Well, so they all now go through the courts. You know. Is it realistic to think that the court process can actually handle this, let alone, you know, manage it in, in, in a mediocre way? Can they actually handle that kind of surge? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So I can tell you now there's been a massive issue way before COVID with regard to recruiting judges and recruiting bailiffs. And we'll come on to bailiffs in a minute. But bailiff, um, uh, judges morale was at a real low. I spoke to a judge from Bradford County Court. On average, it takes 15 minutes to do one accelerated possession case, but you don't have a hearing date. When you have hearing dates, there's going to be bigger lists. Okay. You know, as I said, we have advocates and we, we have courts and, every, you know, all over the country. Some courts are better than other, but obviously the city courts are the worst courts because they have more buy to let mm. and more property within their sector. Let me just give you just a, an example here. 
where we talk that, you know, we, we put a provision for it. We said that if the accelerated possession procedure is going to carry for a few years, you should think about putting it online to make it quicker. And we put some proposals forward. But currently at Stratford Housing Court, which is in East London, for example, it takes 75 days for the claim to be considered by the call, which means from service and notice and will not be considered for about 150 days. With two months' notice, in total, it's 180 days. It never used to be as long as that. Yeah. Gee. Obviously, now the good there is there is some good stuff about the court system where you've got possession claims online. We can issue the claim. Yeah. You get the hearing date straight back. What was a nightmare during COVID? We had review hearings which slowed slowed everything up, and that was just to slow the process up of not having tenants evicted while we didn't have a vaccine. You know, and a yeah. massive housing crisis. Yeah. But there you know, no all, all, all of this is going to come back to the fact that. The end game is we've got a massive issue with a short of housing and especially a short of social council housing. And and I suppose if we if we take into account that you know, the majority of Section 21s are used for fault and those faults are now going to be carried by a uh, by Section 8 or other um, yeah. a, 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 other areas of legislation to, to to allow action to be taken. Um, is it fair to assume then with the lack of investment and there's no further the, the, the line i think is that investment is suggested and it's been noted by the government that investment is needed that's very different investment actually coming um and that ties into bailiffs as well because bailiffs are going to be required more often there's a lack of bailiffs already so there needs to be double investment not only in the court but the entire legal processing of, of getting somebody out of the property it's fair to assume then on that basis paul that you know the the court timelines that we've seen slightly reduced post-covid we could start to see to go back towards where we were during COVID, frankly, if, if we're not. Well, yeah, I mean, look, th- this is reality, right? So in 2019, prior to COVID, there was 110,000 possession cases. Okay, 70% of those were made up by the social housing sector. They, they evict far more than the, the resi, even mm-hmm. though the private rental sector stands at 19%, the social is at 17%, and it's been declining because there's been more of a switch. We've got a massive issue where a lot of tenants were asking to be re, to be rehoused by the council and Section 21 was going to be that, that mechanism because there was no money order on the Section 21. We did a survey and about 51% of landlords that did use the Section 21 notice used it for rent arrears. They didn't want to claim for rent arrears, but obviously COVID kicked in and our debt recovery department has been busier than ever. A lot of landlords were trying to get money orders enforced because they wanted to get county court judgments. That's how you enforce it. What happens is if you're now going to get rid of Section 21, you're going to have loads more Section 8 cases, you need more judges, you need to have a lot, there needs to be a lot more uh, access online. Okay, and we put some provisions forward, you know, employing judges. But the problem is, you've got to realize now where we are today, Ollie, we have the lowest unemployment, unemployment, lowest jobs, uh, job, job uh, unemployment, people are at work since 1976 it's very hard i mean as an organization you know on the board we're trying to employ people we've got staff well really really difficult a bailiff on average is earning twenty-one thousand pound a year now do you want to be a bailiff i've been a bailiff not a county court bailiff i was a certified bailiff from doing commercial commercial work being a bailiff bearing in mind what has happened two days ago Interest rates have gone up. We're all now paying bigger interest rates. It's going to be a bigger squeeze on our mortgages. There's going to be bigger repossessions in house mortgages, not just landlord and tenant. Bailiffs are going to get busier. That's that's why we say you need to transfer up to the high court. But do you want to get paid £21,000 a year, knock at a door, get screamed at, get abused at, get violently uh, assaulted? 
yeah. Uh, it's It can be a really, really dangerous job. You know, I've been on the front line and whatever can be a dangerous job. So they're really struggling to recruit people. And that's why, and and, and at the bottom point of your slide here, there has to be bailiff reform. And we, we put that forward yeah. as a proposal as part of the strengthening ground. So if you've got a case, if their rent arrears are severe and they're over six months or whatever, automatically the judge should grant leave to transfer up to the high court, which means you can turn an eviction round the best pay, best part of maybe a month rather than wait. We're waiting. We've been waiting four and a half, five months for an eviction date in central London County Court. And those, those rents are higher in London, obviously two, three, four grand a month. And that's another six months, you know, another four months left lost at mental So they need bailiff reform, Ollie. Yeah, and, and it would be remiss at that stage not to, to talk about one, you know, not not to mention and no pitches here, but the, the fact that you know rent protection insurance, I think, you know, is um, no brainer and centre of, of agents' minds and, and landlords' minds, and um, you know, I'm very proud of the proposition we, we put forward. There's many other companies that do it, but I think if you're moving, um, you know, if you're moving somebody in and you're not talking to landlords around rent protection, you're missing an opportunity for you as business to protect your fees. You're missing an opportunity for landlords to protect their peace of mind and their biggest financial investment. But um, on that point, I will endorse rent guarantee 100%. You know, this is someone that's been doing evictions and I do the TV program or whatever. As a land, as an agent, you have to protect your landlord. You, The name of the game is having your landlord for the life of them being a landlord, not just that AST. Yeah. And unfortunately, when things go wrong in a tenancy, couples split up a month four, the guy loses his job a month 10. The first person they get to blame, unfortunately, is the agent. And you've done your referencing methodically. But if you've got a rent guarantee in place and they're getting their rent every month, your your land your letter your landlords are going to be really, really thankful that you know they're paying rent guarantee. And actually it's it's not a big cost in the grand scheme of things, is it? It's not. And, and and again, I would hammer home the point around the benefit to the letting agent. You're doing more work than ever at that stage and not collecting your fee. And, you know, mm. in, in the market we're in now, yes. I, I just don't think that's, that's you know, that's going to be acceptable to a lot of businesses. But um, if you want to know more about that, that proposition, um, uh, then please do reach out to us uh, directly. We can talk more about that. I'm going to cover a few questions off before we move on to the next slide, if I may. Um, Karen, good morning, Karen. Um, could you have a ground for relationships um, relatively broken, breaking down? Uh, to cover those times whereby even though agents, um, even through agents, you just can't work with the tenants any further through their unreasonable demands and constant contacting you. Um, I think any agent on the <laughs> on the line will probably sympathise with, with that point, or at least one of their tenants across one of their timelines. Um, perhaps once mediation has been tried. Um, I think this is kind of the point, right? This is what they're trying to essentially eke out of the process to say, you've really got to have some meaningful grounds in which you are evicting a tenant. Um, and I'm going to tie this, Paul, just before you answer into the, into another question, um, which has just come in, I think, from Charlotte. It was, if I can find it. Um, no, sorry, Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. If the grounds for taking action in 21 are being moved to Section 8 and elsewhere, it raises the question, why get rid of Section 21? Why not review and reform that existing legislation? So, you know, clearly under Section 21, to the first point, you would you have every right to, to serve a section, it, you know, known as no fault. You can do that because of whatever reason you want. Um, it does beg the question, if we're moving this around, though, and we're trying to sort of fit, you know, round pegs and square holes, why not just ensure that Section 20 is more robust? Yes. Um, as opposed I, to completely I, I, scrapping it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, great question. I propose that straightforward. Uh, the end of the day, they are thinking, you've got to realise that shelter are very, very good at campaigning. They're brilliant at campaigning. All right, let's be clear about that. They're a housing organisation, actually, that don't house anyone, but they actually 
they they campaign really well. Let me give you an example from uh, first hand. Is there's this myth that landlords are serving Section 21s willy nilly because they just want the property back. Yeah, I was on Panorama explaining. I was on for 17 seconds, mind you. It was a very tenant-centric thing, saying <laughs> there's always a reason why you evict a tenant. I think that it, it, it so they're, they're, they're making it more difficult, in essentially, to get your property back. I mean, let's be honest about this. And that the tenants have greater security. I'll give you an example. I gave evidence in 2014 for the Deregulation Act re- relating specifically to retaliation eviction. So I gave evidence as an expert in front of all these MPs in, in Parliament. And I have been evicted. I, did, I issued my first possession claim at Brighton County Court in 1991, Ollie, way before the buy-to-let boom. Shows how old I am. I'd never even heard until that point of retaliation eviction. And that's from me. Mm. We did a survey on landlord zone, albeit it was to landlords. So whether they were being honest or not, I don't know. We worked out it was half a 0.5%, half a percent of landlords had served a Section 21 notice because tenants had asked for repairs to be carried out. When I gave evidence, Shelter said that they, they, they worked out that. So what they do is they work out and they do their surveys and it is arguable. And I've had a, an argument with them and we or debate with them. Well, then they do their survey. I think they do their survey for people on their advice line. So tenants that are having issues. Mm-hmm. And, might, and they might have done a survey for a thousand people. And they've, then they equate it to how many tenants there are in the country. And they said that there was 213,000 Section 21 notices that had been served because the land tenants have complained to the landlords and the landlords in retaliation serve the notices. Now, I don't know, but most of the time I know that landlords did never, ever give a reason why they serve a Section 21 notice. But because they campaigned on it, and that's how it, that's why that, that came hit. forward as part of a law. And I'm just yeah. giving an example and how things it, come through. It, and, you know, I think the the positioning in the last three or four years, especially for me, has been really, really helpful. And um, I think, you know, Shelter have come out uh, more recently with a campaign that essentially targeted letting agents, which I find absolutely yeah. mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. You know, t- target target the conduit for the professionalism in the sector and make them ridicule them is not going to get you very far. I, I think, you know, actually coming together and working together yeah, and cool. having open debate about what is the best customer outcome, i.e. customers being landlords and tenants, is far more proactive. It does feel, though, lines have been drawn. Yeah, it's and, hard. you know, it's there's a level of self-interest now because, you know, Shelter have made the vision very clear. They're clear what they're campaigning for, and that is it, and it's pretty rigid. And I fear that's a, that's a poor way to go for the sector because actually well, working in combination with these guys, and, you know, I don't see a downfall to that. I think that, that would be a positive. But, there, but, there's, but there's no engagement. I mean, you know, you know, I, I, I we're, we're with industry heads, and we, we've had this, you know, especially with Theresa Wallace at the Letting's Industry, you know, and loads of different organisations. They don't really engage, you know, with, We've had a little bit of engagement with Generation Rent. Uh, and that's the mantra, really. Um, you know, attacking letting agents. I thought that was a little bit like below the, the belt. Look, yeah. they, look, I know better than anyone. You know, I represent the Property Redress Scheme. We've got 17,000 members. Client Money Protect, 4,500 members. My deposit, 3,500. So anybody knows letting agents is us. As a whole, they're, they're, you know, and we know agents are decent. I've exposed dodgy letting agents on my TV program that have stolen yeah. events and all that. They're few and far between. They're few and far between. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, but they, but it, part, part of the problem is they don't engage. And that that's, that's the problem. Ollie. And, 
And um, Ian asked a question. Good, good, good morning, Ian. Um, I, he says, I, I believe the housing associations, which are registered charities, are not playing their part in providing homes for low-income people. Mm. What measures does Paul think the PRS should be taking to ensure they are playing their part? And uh, I think that's a great question. I'm going to I'm going to add uh, one on top of that to you, Paul. Um, should the PRS play their part? Um, is there a necessity to do that? Um, what's your views on that? Well, look, it, it, it's been forced to play its part because we have a housing shortage. You've got London boroughs. You know, I'm, I'm in London. I'm in London by Barnet. But you've got London boroughs. There's what, 33 boroughs in London. There's 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 London boroughs that have got 35,000 people on their waiting list for council property. It takes 20 to 25 years on average to get council property. Where are these people going to be housed? They come into the private rental sector. Landlords help. And it's a great thing helping uh, a, a benefit, a benefit tenant on lower income, you know, and actually statistically a housing benefit tenant will stay longer and look after the property better. That's a fact. There is a myth. The problem, the, the struggles they have, you've got universal credit, which is broken down. You've got the worst law that ever came into effect in 2008 that was brought in by the previous Labour government, where they wanted to empower tenants, make direct payments to tenants that couldn't afford or couldn't manage their property, uh, their, their money. And now the problem you've got is that rents are at a sky high. You know, average rent in London is £2,000 a month. So, Ollie, I'm going to come to you. You live in Lincoln. You've got a nice two-bed flat, right? Tenant demand has gone through the roof, and your agents will tell you that. You've got 10, 10 tenants vying for a property. Mm-hmm. Biggest demand ever. You can now pick the best three tenants out of those 10. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, and if you've got a good agent, they're pre-qualified, and then you'll use vouch and you'll do the referencing, all that type of stuff. I'm a housing benefit family. You know, me and my wife and my two kids, I come to you. My LHA rate's fixed at X amount. But, you know, against me, I've got a private couple. They work at, you know, one works in London, one works, and they're going to pay 450 quid a month more, 300 quid a month more. Who are you going to go for? That is going to be the biggest problem. The biggest issue as well, so I'm going on a bit of a rant, but the biggest issue as well is when Section 21 is abolished, the more vulnerable tenants will be the losers because you're going to have much more stringent referencing. You're going to have landlords that are going to be demanding that they have guarantors in place. A lot of these, a lot of everything that's made out, Look, we're, all, we're, we're guys on the ground. We know what's going to happen. We deal with tenants. We deal with issues day in, day out. You know, and we try and engage with civil servants. I've had loads of civil servants coming to our offices and various different working groups now, and we explain stuff. Uh, But there's the longer term problem. And of course, now the problem we've got is landlords are selling up. So I'm a decent tenant. Ollie, you've had enough. You've got two properties. You think, you know what? I'm scared. I think there's going to be a recession. Interest rates going up. I've done all right. I want to cash my chips in. Yeah, my biggest issue is tax. I'm going to serve notice on my tenant. Right. I want to get my property back to sell. My tenant, me, the tenant, I've been your tenant for nine years, has been as good as gold. So now what's going to happen is you're going to have really good tenants that are now going to have to leave the property. You didn't put the rent up properly for over the nine years. Now, all of a sudden, I've got to look for something else and I can just barely afford a two a two bedroom flat on the outskirts or somewhere else out of Lincoln. And then there's a cost of the move. So there's practicalities that people don't think about, especially civil servants. Yeah, I I think the... You know the economic pressures that are backing that, and what seems to be a, a trickle down economic uh, landscape from the the new the new conservative conservative government. Um, mm. I think you know my, my estimation is that that clearly affects 
um, the the more vulnerable um, in 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 our sector and, and across the country, which. You know, ultimately, um, like you say, that landlords will have choice, and and if if the government is asking a landlord to 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 run their uh, management of a property like a business, well, guess what they're going to do? They're going to make informed commercial decisions, and that 100%. means I think following the way that you're going. So I think there's a real fear there. And for me, you know, there's one stock answer to all of this, and that's ultimately house building. Um, I actually think the PRS has popped up a housing Oops. crisis nearly for mm. 20 years, frankly, um, for as long as I, you know, I've been in the industry because, you know, we've edged away, edged away at different areas and different parts of the sector to, to actually spread ourselves so thinly without, you know, a, a large proportion of new homes being built. Um, and, you know, that, those chickens are coming home to roost at the moment. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see what, where the government stands on uh, home building is moving forwards. Um because frankly, it needs to be meaningful. Um, you talked earlier about the um, your involvement in the PRS um, and other bodies. And let's move on to the next slide, if we can, please, um, Sarah. Um, the um, the session in the white paper is that there's going to be um, one ombudsman um, to to cover all. Um, that, that that's what what it's saying. Yes. Um, just talk us through where we are now from a ombudsman uh, perspective. Well, so at the moment, uh, it's still in consultation stage. Ideally, there's talk about one ombudsman, one one port of call, okay, where every landlord will have to be part of a redress scheme, exactly like your agents. They either belong to us, the property redress scheme, or the property ombudsman, okay? And actually, if the if the, the complaints procedure is not dealt with, and quite rightly, all your all your agents will say, well, yeah, surely self-managed lands, all landlords should be part of a scheme like us because the tenant is your customer and the tenant has a right to make a complaint. What they're saying is, is that there should be, and obviously we run, you know, the schemes at PRS and my deposits is uh, where's the single place of ombudsman. History tells us like the legal ombudsman and some other type of ombudsman, when the government tried to do it, it doesn't really work and it hasn't really been a success. So we need to wait and see Sean Hooker. I know who's listening to this, uh, this webinar at the moment uh, and Tim Fromar, the managing director of the PRS, they're in talks and we're regularly engaging. And as you know, we, we do mediation and we've done the mediation pilot with the NRLA on landlord redress. We've got over 5,000 landlords that have signed up to this voluntary uh, voluntary scheme for landlord redress. We're feeding it back all, to, all back to the, the government. But you've got to realise the NRLA landlords are the decent landlords. They're the landlords that are compliant. They want to run their business properly. And so... We've got two point what four million landlords out there. There's a lot of landlords. There's a lot of landlords that need to know about the redress scheme when it comes in. How do they sign up? What's going to happen? But I think most of the complaints that we've got to deal with, and you've got to realise, you know, uh, the property redress scheme dealt with about sixteen hundred complaints of agents last year. Uh, we're talking about if you know if obviously we're part of the scheme or however there's 2.3 million landlords out there's going to be a lot more complaints about landlords you know there's going to be complaints you know some of it may be deposit related so that's something separate but they haven't carried out a gas safety they haven't uh they they haven't carried out repairs to the property that would be an issue you know there's a whole load of type of complaint so it's going to come in property redress and it can only raise standards so i'm all for it really whether tenants will try and abuse the process to try and hold up and not pay the rent me being mr cynical we'll wait and see but uh, yeah we're very much at the heart 
of landlord redress and we're consulting with the government and we set up a pilot scheme. We're the only pilot scheme that's set up with the NRLA. And, and excuse my, my typo on this slide. Um, that doesn't read at all how I had it in my head. The benefit being having what that makes no sense. Um, so I'll, I'll rephrase it. Um, so what, what I meant to ask there is what, would the, what, what is the benefit of having one um, central body? And, you know, how would that affect letting agents, landlords and tenants? Well, I think what will happen is, is we have to wait and see because is it, you know, obviously Benchmark Wells have got it in Scotland, have got a register and, and, and so forth, is they're saying there's one place to go to. The problem I've, the, the, the thing I've had a problem in, in the past with, especially working with government, is they don't do that. They rely on us in the industry to promote it. Okay, that's fine, but they don't do any real big heavy lifting themselves. Are you able to advertising campaigns? And mm. because the problem is, is you know, there, there's so many landlords out there that are doing it themselves. Okay, we're still getting landlords that call up landlord action and advice line, and more importantly, my deposits customer service line saying they haven't put the deposit in the deposit scheme right now you know the law came on came in and that was it the 6th of april 2007 right so only 15 years ago landlords are still not putting deposits in the deposit scheme right which is crazy and actually that was part one of maybe the part the best bit of legislation that did come in because there was too many complaints yeah but it, it, there being a single port of contact is the main theme Again, we wait to see the devil in the detail. There's more consultations that are going on, and uh, I, w- I would, uh, I would, I would encourage uh, your uh, your uh, your people that have, that have tuned in today to uh, go in and, and follow Sean Hooker because he writes regular blogs about engagement yeah. with the government and, and where we're, where it's steering towards. Yeah, indeed. Sean's joined us um, a few times in the past for, for, yeah. for, for different webinars, and we'll be joining us again, I think, um, as and when we, we understand more about Roper, and that's definitely the right. conversation. Yeah. Um, so um, in terms of the, the white paper, uh, the unifying of an ombudsman, um, and, and trying to get one central place to, to pull all of these um, kind of escalations into, um, it's evident to me throughout the entire white paper, actually, not just at, at this point, the the note uh, or mention around letting agents is minimal to non-existent. Yeah. Um, a question from me in, uh, in place of one of our, our listeners. Um, why is that? Why does the government seem to not acknowledge the important role that working professionals that understand law and legislation mm. can provide? And do you think that regulation is a step towards allowing the industry to take more of an important role and shaping um, how the sector actually works? Yeah, great question. Uh, look, uh, look, letting agents are essential. If they want the, the industry to be more professionalised, uh, which is where they want it to go, and they want tenants to have greater security. And tenants on average now, and this is a bit out of date for maybe a year ago, are paying 31% of their wages towards their rent. The, the issue now is that's going to go up, obviously, you know, the cost of living price and stuff like that. So having agents understanding law, understanding complexities and property management is absolutely essential. I was disappointed. I, I think I don't, I, I, Roper was on the radar. It was talked about and then it went off a cliff, you know, six to 12 months ago. Maybe they thought bringing Roper in the same time as the renters reform bill. It's too much too early and they've stagnated it. Having letting agent training is essential. We do letting agent training here at Hamilton Fraser. Uh, I, so I, I think for the good guys, the good guys want letting agent training. They want regulation. It makes sense. It also gets rid of a lot of the cowboys in the industry that cut corners. 
you know, uh, which is important. So we wait and see. And then, of course, there's periphery stuff. There's property investment training. There's mm-hmm. rent to rent. I'm right at the heart of rent to rent and making sure that that's made more regulated and cleaned up. Um, so, yeah, we wait. We wait to see. But I was disappointed that they pushed Roper back, Ollie, to be honest. But uh, just, we wait for I, that to, to rise its head again, please. God. I just think it makes no sense when you've got, what, circa 12,000, 13,000, you know, independent um, companies that specialise, of which the vast majority are excellent at what they do. Yeah. Just completely ignore that they exist. And uh, I, you know, we're, we're clearly a big champion for letting agents. That's mm. not because there's only a commercial aim. We, we work for letting agents. It's because, goodness me, this needs a professional. This isn't a job you can just roll up to and think I'm going to be a landlord right. tomorrow and I'm going to be okay because but, there's some yeah. really bad implications of getting it wrong. And yeah. I, I just, I don't an know. I, of, I, and an example of that, Ollie, it's good that you mentioned that. Um, I, I do loads and loads of property. Uh, I, I do loads of, uh, you know, I'm doing letting agent training for an agent in Leicester tomorrow and then one in East London on Friday. Uh, I do loads of training all the time. And then you get the property networking training groups as well. So you get individuals that just turn up and then they see courses on rent to rent and they want to get into property. And if you want to get into property and you want to build a portfolio, the, the reality is you need money as to how much is arguable. right? But you need money right, to buy property. And all these people, they go into these rent to rent courses uh, and it does wind me up. And I've written some content on the PRS website and some guides and stuff. And then they end up going into property management. And I'll take your property on. It's a four bedroom property in Lincoln, you've had a bad experience with agents, you won't have any void periods, I'll pay you 1200 quid a month, but I'm going to rent it and get a £2,000 a month, easy peasy. But managing property and your guys out there is the hardest, hardest thing to do in property. Don't care what anyone says, right? You're dealing with conflicts, you've got to understand people, it's a very people business, you've got to understand compliance, you've got to deal with HMO laws, all that type of stuff. And a lot of the time it goes wrong or they can't pay the landlord or whatever. And that's why letting agents are the core and the backbone uh, to, to, to our industry, of course. Agreed. Agreed. Um, uh, I'm conscious of time. We've got a couple of questions coming yeah. One from Robert and one from somebody who didn't live their name, unfortunately. But good morning to, to both of you. Um, both along the same line, essentially, that if the landlord is having their property fully managed by an agency, will they still need to be a member themselves of an ombudsman? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they still need to be a member 100 percent because they're, they're taking rents and they're managing. So the laws are with regard to redress. If you're taking deposits, taking money and you're managing a property. Yes, you have to be part of a redress scheme, period. All right. Now, the argument is and I thought, well, if, if an age, if a landlord is coming to you, they won't need to be part of a redress scheme. But I've been corrected to say that actually your landlord still needs to be part of a redress scheme, even if he's using you for full management. Now, what the cost is, it could be 20 quid, it could be 50 quid or whatever. Uh, and then, of course, what, and maybe we're going to talk about this on the next slide, that it, there is going to be landlord registration. My argument is landlord redress is landlord registration. And we can talk about that in, in further detail. You're just doubling up. You know, you have landlord, you have rent smart wells, right? Uh, and I think if I remember rightly, you know, all landlords that are self-managing have to go on a course, have to get a qualification. You know, if they're self-managing, if they use an agent, I don't, I'm not sure they have to join. I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and in Scotland, I remember when they brought in landlord registration years and years ago, I'm talking about 2010, 2012, and I remember doing a talk in Fife to about 200 landlords. 
And I, I thought, you know what? I, it, it was a bit spiky, the crowd, but I like a little bit of a challenge. So I said, how's this landlord registration going? I almost got lynched. But anyway, uh, and of course, <laughs> cynically, of course, the government want information. They want data, you know, as well. And, where and the let's talk are. about that. Let's talk about yeah. data because that's ultimately where the the new property pool is is heading. And it this was the, the briefest of brief lines in the white paper. Yeah. And um, I think... Um, you know, from a, a tech background, uh, a good lord, we really appreciate how hard um, it is to provide something that, that really, really works, and and not only provide it but maintain it, um, and and continue to invest in it. It's, it's it, you know, it's just necessary. Um, so the idea that sits either with local authorities or the government, uh, dare I say, it, a third party, which I think nobody's going to be a fan of. Um, you know, that's problematic in itself, I think, because there's a level of investment. But let's talk about what what she's setting out here you know as much as we know at the moment the suggestion here paul is it not is the portal will be used essentially as a um, as a stepping stone to the property logbook almost that was muted um you know a year or two ago um talk us through what they're what they're suggesting so look, every property has a uprn number a unique number right so it, i i'm totally for this makes total sense it will make letting agents lives so much easier okay uh, and of course, help with regard to sales purchases and 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 uh, purchase and sales and stuff to know what information is linked to that property. So, deposit and deposit scheme, MEs, electrical, uh, you know, gas safety, you know, all that type of stuff. Land registry. Yes, of course, it's going to be information relating to that property. My my challenge is, and look, you, you know, Ollie, you're one of the leading tech companies in the property industry, right? And you know about tech, you know about portals. We're talking about, what, 4.4 million dwellings? Mm. Yeah, is that fair enough to say? That have to go on a portal. Who's going to manage it? Is it going to be government-based? It's not going to be a third party. Again, no one knows the detail. But, you know, being able to see, you know, a tenant, if they're going on a viewing, you know, it's like you go back to, you know, the rogue land or the rogue letting agent register. For some reason, when they brought this in and I was sitting on that consultation, they thought uh, for their wisdom that only councils could gain access, which made no sense whatsoever. So landlords, tenants, letting agents, various parties can get access. This is obviously when it's set up and how long it's going to mm. set up and it could cost absolute fortune, million, whatever it may be, is they get access to see that that property is compliant. And then, of course, You know, if I sit with my lettings industry hat on, lettings industry council hat on, we said, well, if you've got all this, why do you need HMO licensing? Yeah, Yeah. because that's been a bane in landlords' life. They're paying loads of money. The good landlords end up paying five hundred quid for three years, and it's a bit of a cash cow for the you know for the landlords uh, for the councils. And how's that enforced? So there is an argument, and we've said for the lettings industry council, well, if you do this and do this properly, and we've done a whole lot of work on this way before the announcement is why do you need uh, HMO licensing? You know, because every council's different. There's all different laws. The regulation and uh, the enforcement are, are different. So in principle, this looks brilliant. And the whole the whole emphasis mm. of this is to increase, to make sure that there's heart, that at the moment there's 21% of properties in the private rental sector fall below the decent home standard, Ollie. Okay? Yeah. They want to half that. And this is a big step towards... Halving that. 
I, I think this is this in theory is a really good idea, uh, and I, I'm very supportive of the TLIC, the Letting Industry Council, Paul, the members of the uh, session of going moving forwards into that property logbook, where actually you start to take all other things into account. You know, there was a fifty ten years ago. There's an insurance claim on this. The, you know, yes. um, a, a gas issue in this, or the windows got replaced at this year. Like having that as a logbook across time, a bit like with your um, car. Is, you know, you have an MOT exactly right. Exactly. I think yeah. that's super, super helpful for letting agents, for landlords and for tenants. I see real benefit in it. Um, I think the management of that, though, is, you know, is important. And, you know, if we're talking about sort of local authorities sort of managing this, then I think that's problematic, uh, both from a funding perspective and a management perspective. I, I struggle to, to get comfy that a, a, a commercial body could, could, could manage this. Um, you know, the pooling of data um, across every single avenue. Uh, would be massive. So it does feel like something, um, I suppose, Paul, that the government would manage as a centralised database, no different to DVLA, for example, uh, or yes. indeed the way that they manage passport uh, yes. control. And, and it's a big job, Ollie. Big, big job. So, um, I mean, this was a very small, small part um, of, of the white paper. Um, yes. And if you go through the white paper, and, and this is, this is remember, foregoing um, lifetime deposits that was, was, was part of the original manifesto that has come been completely um, wiped out or almost. Um, if we don't uh, get Labour made an announcement yesterday, we, we might want to touch on, you know, obviously. I think it's Labour, worth, yeah, let, let's do that, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that. I, yeah. So, Ollie, they, they said that portable deposits should be back on the table. They say pets should be mandatory. They, in Lisa Nandy, who's the uh, shadow housing minister, she said council properties, council properties, council homes. Yes, great in theory. How many times have we heard that over the course of different um, di- different um, uh, parties that have been in a parliament? We need to build 300,000 properties and all that type of stuff. The money's got to be paid for. But takeaways from, from the conference was they want there to be a four-month notice period Okay, they want tenancies to be periodic. We haven't even touched on that, and maybe that's another conversation for another day. There has been a U <laughs> turn in Wales, by the way, where they want mm. to periodic. They're going back to fixed term. It's, it's a big worry. It's a big worry with regard yeah. to renewals, with regard to guarantors and stuff like that. Uh, with regard more detail and antisocial behaviour, uh, there needs to be much more pre-action. Look, the reality is is that they want the procedure to be slowed down. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, the, the big elephant in the room that comes back in for, for landlords is rent caps. Is that going to be back on the agenda? So yeah. we have to wait and see. But but obviously, you're looking at elections that's going to happen in two years. The government have just made, you know, Eddie Hughes, uh, the other uh, housing secretary, he was very, very heavily involved in the white paper, leading yeah. on working groups and, as such. He's now gone. There's been a replacement by Nick Clark. It's still going to happen. They're still going to enforce it. It's going to take time. They've got obviously they've got new they've got new people in cabinets and and so forth and getting used to grounds. The civil servants still stay the same, you know, uh, and they are engaged. The civil servants are engaging. I, I'm speaking to them. Other people speaking to them. But yeah, we have to wait and see. But this has to be legislation. There's, there was a 12 point plan. Some of the stuff might fall on the wayside. We wait and wait and see. Uh, I think the biggest challenges I look at is, yeah, the abolishment of Section 21, I would say that, but how that's enforced, how the grounds and strength of the Section 8, is there going to be faith with landlords in the court system, they get their property back, and periodic tenancies. The big worry is obviously student landlords because purpose-built blocks have exemptions. Why aren't they going to give that to to landlords that are renting in the student market? Uh, I read a story about a student that couldn't find any student housing uh, where he wanted to live. 
And the big, big, big threat to all of this, unfortunately, is there's is landlords exiting. The small landlords are exiting, mm. but I do. Uh, there is some hope. The big, big institute. I was with an institutional fund last week. Uh, on a really big fund. They're piling back in. They are. I mean, there's loads of big funds that are really scaling up, and they are buying. Yeah. And one stat I will give you, Ali, before we switch off. And this is a really uh, telling fact, actually. And this came from Hamptons in 2022. Uh, 41% of landlord-owned properties were bought by other landlords. 59% of the landlord-owned properties were sold to non-landlords. Mm. Yeah? So there's it, a telling part in that. Yeah, and, and it, 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 I've, actually, we, we discussed this yesterday, didn't we, Paul? And um, I was discussing this back and forth with, with our CEO, uh, William Reeve. And we were then looking at the uh, ONS stats in terms of um, home, home ownership, home building, etc., the numbers don't quite align by, by quite some stretch. So it's, it's the next question on from that stat, which is really interesting, is to say, okay, if that if that fifty nine percent then who weren't not, who were non landlords bought them, who are they? Because you look at the growth in in home ownership, um, it's it's a murky picture. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's you know I, I buy I completely buy the fact that that there will be some landlords leaving the market. Um, I. I, I just not. I think it's unhelpful to be on the balance saying there's mass exoduses because there is a lot. You know, nearly half, forty-one percent of properties are going to another landlord anyway. So okay, yeah, that's, cool. that's one proportion we know for sure about. Um, but I think you know there's a lot more data cleansing to be done here to ensure yeah. that we're painting a good picture of of what that 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 market change looks like. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to finish on one question, if I may, Paul. I appreciate guys, we're out of time. So thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Hundreds and hundreds of, of letting professionals today. So really appreciate you taking your Wednesday morning um, out to. to, to to join me and Paul. But Karen asks, um, with 51% uh, of landlords already let only and the government portal um, purporting to give clear information uh, on how uh, how to let and all the prescribed information online, it's possible that they will feel letting agents will not be needed. How can we demonstrate to the government in lobbying groups that letting agents are essential? Um, I think the role of a letting agent is changing and has changed. And I think, you know, where the likes of Rightmove and Zoopla have been fantastic in sort of getting properties out to a bigger mass, they've also taken away some of the nuanced part of being a letting agent, and the game has changed slightly, in my view. So looking at how see how you can consult with landlords and look at long-term business relationships, for 100%. me, is the way forward. Yeah. It's that consultative approach. And the reason I, I note that question there, Karen, is we're running a, um, a free um, future-proofing consultation process with all of our customers and non-customers to look at where the, where you are as a business, understanding mm. the reform coming down the tracks and the methods and processes you can go through to mm. help protect your business and grow your business. So if that's of interest, please do reach out to us. We'd yeah. love to help. You don't have to be a good law customer. We're not going to sell you good law. That isn't the point of it. We, we, you know, we are invested in the industry. And, and as is Paul. So, Paul, you're running one-to-one consultations yeah. with members as well, aren't you? Yeah, when I get time, that, that's my biggest challenge. So like tomorrow I'm in Leicester with a company called uh, Knightsbridge, uh, and then I'm with Elliot Lee on, on Friday. So I go in. I get booked to do – you get a lot of agents that are now putting landlord events on, you know, yeah. how to be professional landlords about the, the positivity of of, of biotech. But then I, I do uh, a lot of – I go into agents. I, I, I do some uh, outbounding. I look at how they pitch. I understand landlords. There, there's still a detachment of how – letting agents see what landlords are and what type of talk and what how they feel. So I do how to attract more landlords to your business and how to upsell from let only to full management. There is an art to it. At the end of the day, letting agents now are compliance officers. 
Landlords want peace of mind. Landlords now have to put a price on their time. But I've got my my website is paulshamcleaner.tv. If anyone's interested, they can contact me. But it's obviously uh, when I get some time and I can book something in the diary. Indeed. And, 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 and today, especially, thank you for making the time, Paul, to, to join you. us and, and everyone else uh, joining the call. Um, we're going to send the recording out. So if you miss part of this, um, then please um, watch out in your inbox. Um, I've also got a question around the previous elements uh, in this series. They are available to download. Um, if you can't access those to our website, please do just drop us an email. We can send you the recordings of those. We're also going to send out the Lettings Industry Council um, answer to the white paper um, that was released yesterday. Um, Paul's been working very closely on that. Um, I, I myself joined the quarterly meetings of the TLC. It's a really good body that, you know, try and take a fair and balanced view on what's happening in the industry and try and help shape that as best as possible. Um, and we think that will be really helpful for you guys to have uh, access to and read through. So we'll attach that to the sending of the recording as well. Um, but for now, Paul, thank you so much for your time. Everybody joining, thank you. Have a fantastic Wednesday, uh, whatever you're doing. Um, and keep calm and carry on letting. We'll see you all soon. Take care. Have a great work. Take care, guys. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.